the enthusiasm part, I think, carried me a long way because I was really raw. Buster tells stories about like how bad my copy was <laughs> and how he was like, he's a grunt. Like, we love him, but I don't know. You know, he, he's got a lot of work to do on his writing. <laughs> you think you want to be an analyst one day? You want to be on one of these ESPN debate shows? Okay, well, where's your blog? Where's your podcast? Where's your YouTube channel? If you do focus on what is the end game from a financial standpoint, really early in the game, you may preclude yourself from getting where you ultimately could get. This is the Work in Sports Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkinSports.com, Brian Clapp. So I want to be really clear before we get started. You may have seen that Jason Lockonfora is on the Work in Sports Podcast the day before the NFL draft and thought to yourself, yes. Let's geek out with JLC over NFL draft rumors. Well, I would personally love to do that as well because I love Jason Lagonfora and I really, really go too deep into the NFL draft. I love it. But this is not that. I don't want to mislead you. This is actually an interview that I conducted back in the fall with Jason, and it's one of the best conversations I think we've ever had on the Work and Sports podcast. This is the perfect time to bring it back because we're all thinking NFL right now and NBA playoffs and NHL Stanley Cup playoffs and baseball. This is a great time of year for sports. But nonetheless, my focus on NFL draft, and I was thinking this conversation with Jason Lockonfora, how he built himself up from a reporter, often covering sports other than football, and built this personal brand up to where he is one of the most respected names in NFL reporting, coverage, insider, insight. I mean, the guy's breaking stories left and right all the time and is somebody that's so well-trusted in this, in this industry. To me, Jason's story is so interesting because he took this versatility to a whole new level. He was a writer and he became so much more than that. He became a brand. And this is something all of you can leverage and learn from. Whether you want to be a reporter or not, just understanding to listen to those moments where you're getting opportunities and how to get after them. So I believe this is one of the best interviews we've ever had. Jason is an amazing guest. We wanted to bring it back for everybody to listen to this week. So here he is, my friend, Jason Lacanfora. Hey, Jason, what's happening? I'm excited to have you on the show today. Oh, thanks for having me, man. My my pleasure. I'm uh, interested to see where our conversation goes. I know. So am I. That's part of the fun part, isn't it? Definitely. It's figuring out where we're going to go with this. But the fun part, I think, too, is that this will probably be the one conversation you don't have to talk about, John Gruden. So uh, we will give you a breather on that topic. I will gladly take that reprieve. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so as you know, our goal is to help advise the next generation. So mm-hmm. that's the kind of conversation we're going to have today. You, looking at your background, you were one of the many successful Syracuse grads coming out of that program, Mm -hmm. getting into the sports media. I mean, my career in the sports media, I was littered with people that went to Syracuse and the names are known and everybody's out there. Um, For you personally, when did you kind of figure out that sports journalism was your path, something you wanted to pursue? How did you kind of narrow in on that? Yeah, I I think I knew that I was going to be at least hopefully involved in sports and probably sports media from an from a pretty early age, well before college, I think I set some goals for myself that, um, hey, th- these are the things I enjoy watching. These are the things I enjoy reading. Um, these are where some of my passions are. And I-, I think that there might be an opportunity to have some overlap between the things I enjoy watching and consuming um, 
from the media and and some of my own maybe burgeoning talents and abilities or God-given gifts or whatever you want to whatever you want to call them. So I, I think if you had asked me, you know, at age 10, at age 12, at age 14, like what do you think you're gonna be when you grow up? I, I would say, well, like I really love what Bob Costas does. And, you know, at that point we're talking like the major league baseball game of the week. Um, yep. you know, or, or like, wow, it's awesome listening to John Miller and Joe Angel call Oriole games on the radio. And that might be really cool. And I love getting, you know, getting the paper every morning and reading whoever Mike Litwin or, you know, Ken Rosenthal or whoever yeah. is writing about the, the, you know, the teams that I enjoy watching play. Um, so I, I kind of knew something in that realm was was where I wanted to be. And I dabbled in all those sort of things. And I came into Syracuse as a broadcast journalism major. Although basically I flipped a coin between print and broadcast and just said, yeah. you know, they said you can't do both. And so I came in as a broadcast journalism major. And by my second semester on campus, I was writing a lot for the Daily Orange. And by my sophomore year, I had switched over to print um, and also picked up a second major in policy studies because I really enjoyed some of those classes. Uh, and and then I, I pretty much just wrote as much as I possibly could um, throughout my college experience and freelanced and, and, you know, strung for as many people as I possibly could and yep. focused on trying to get internships, um, which turned out to be massive. And, and that kind of took me down the road that I was going down. And then many, many years later, without me really wanting to do it or thinking about doing it, uh, opportunities emerged in television. And then now I'm kind of melding a little bit of everything. No, I love that. And we're definitely going to dig into that because I think that transition to the television phase is really interesting and a big part of what journalism means nowadays. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that I learned about you was, you know, your first gig out of college is really impressive going and being a beat writer for the Detroit Free Press on the Red Wings beat yeah. at a time when the Red Wings were like the dominant team in the NHL. I mean, I love those teams. Fedorov, Iserman, oh, Osgood, yeah. like those were, those were some great teams. Yes. Um, I, that's a major market role. A lot of people don't graduate and go into a major market role. Why did they hire you? Like, look back and be analytic. Why? Why did it happen? You should ask Gene Myers, one of the many amazing sports editors that I had, and I was I was blessed. Look, a lot of it was right place, right time. They were coming out of a really lengthy strike, and they were very limited from a budgetary standpoint as to you know, what their resources were, resources were to hire people. Um, I think they were looking for somebody young who they thought would be at the, you know, at the paper for a long time, which was certainly my intentions. Um, let me deal with this dog real quick. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> a, a lot of it was happenstance. Uh, the, the beat writer at the time, Viv Bernstein, decided, I think, right around Christmas that she she no longer really wanted to be on the beat, at least not as a traveling beat writer. Um, and I had become very close with the the Tigers writer for the free press at the time, John Lowe, who I met through my internships at the Baltimore Sun. And I'm interning at the Baltimore Sun at a time where um, the Ravens aren't in town yet. They're, they're, it's a one. It's the Orioles and the Orioles are good for the first time, you know, really good for the first time in 12, 13 years. I remember that. And year. Camden Yards is the place to be. Camden Yards is jam packed. And. Ripken is starting to, you know, creep up on uh, the streak. And 
we've got Buster Olney and Ken Rosenthal and, and Peter Schmuck, and I'm sitting next to these guys, you know, pretty much every day in the Camden Yards press box. And then Buster calls me in my senior year of college in a snowstorm at Syracuse at like two o'clock in the morning. And dude, what are you doing? Dude, I just got back from the bars. He's like, dude, why aren't you in Florida? I'm like, because I'm in school, Buster, because I'm in school. He's like, I'm learning. He's like, classes don't matter. He's like, when is your spring break? I'm like, my spring break's in like two weeks. He's like, you need to get down here now. I need help. Like, they'll pay you whatever per story. Just you can, you can, I'll get you set up in the hotel. You can stay in my room. Like, just get your airfare and, and get down here. And that's where I ended up meeting John Lowe and spending a lot of time with him was that spring training where I basically blew off school for two weeks and covered the Orioles and went around, you know, driving up back and forth, what they call Alligator Alley and go into these, these uh, spring training games. And I, I got to know John Lowe. We became close. He, hockey was one of my first loves. I played hockey in high school, even though Baltimore's not a big hockey hotbed. I loved hockey. Former, you know, I had season tickets in the caps as soon as I could drive um, and had covered a lot of minor league hockey in, in a lot of different levels um, for different papers in different ways. And so John's like, hey, why don't you come out here and meet Gene Myers? And we went to an, a Yost Arena in Ann Arbor and we watched the Michigan-Michigan State game. And it wasn't really a formal interview. It was just kind of like, does it even make sense for me to talk to this kid? And then I came back for a formal interview and then they ended up hiring me. I don't know exactly why, um, other than, you know, what I've laid out. It was a big risk. It was a big gamble. Um, again, I, I do think the, the, econo- the, the economics at the time and those papers coming out of a strike had a lot to do with it. Yeah. Uh, and I, yes. And then they end up, you know, winning the Stanley cup that year. And my second home game on the beat was, uh, you know, the, the, the brawl with, you know, Darren McCarthy finally gets, oh, I you love, know, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So that was like, I think I'd covered a, a, a Sunday afternoon game against the Bruins, very mundane affair. And then like my second or third home game at Joe Lewis arena on the beat was, was that game. And then they end up winning the cup. And then unfortunately there's a horrific Lemo accident. And, yeah. you know, we got Vladimir Konstantinov's never going to oh, play again. Gosh. And yep. they, you know, didn't look like Slava Fatisov was going to make it for a period of time. And their trainer, Sergei Manastikhanov, um, you know, he, he, he never was, was basically paralyzed. Uh, and then they've, come off of that and win another Stanley cup the next year. I, it was, um, it was, it was, it was a lot going on and, uh, it was somewhat, um, right place, right time. I don't know. I was working at CNN sports illustrated at the time when the brawl happened. I remember that being on every TV in the newsroom and all of us were just glued to it. It was, that was a crazy yeah. moment that you'll never forget. Okay. So the strategy I'm hearing come out of that, what you're, you're just, you break down of how you got started is experience and networking, like relationships, yes. really matter. Like schoolwork matters. I'm not telling anybody to skip classes. Right. But but those moments where you can get something that stands out on your resume and some experience and some, you know, notches on your belt, plus the relationships you may make when you're doing that is really those are the experiences, things you need to leverage. Is that right? Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's about um, the more enthusiastic you are about this is what I think I, I'm meant to do. And here's how much better I think I can get at it if I'm given a chance. And here's how much I think I could learn from you if you let me tag along. And here's also what I have to offer back. I think it's being strategic about all those things. And like, I wasn't like going to Florida thinking I'm going to get, you know what I mean? I'm going to end up covering the Detroit Red Wings out of this. Like, 
it's just like, oh my God, I get to go cover spring training and write every day and run yeah. quotes for these guys and help them come up with story ideas and maybe get to write a feature here or there just to see life on the beat in a different way other than, you know, the press box during the regular season. Right. But yeah, I think it's it. The enthusiasm part, I think, carried me a long way because I was really raw. Uh, I had to let me Buster tell stories about like how bad my copy was like the first <laughs> summer that I was an intern and how he was like, we love this kid's hustle, but he's never going to. You know what I mean? He's he's <laughs> he's a he's a grunt like we love him, but I don't know. You know, he, he's got a lot of work to do on his writing. But I, I just think it's a little bit of tenacity. It's about having yeah. the right attitude. It's about being available to kind of throw your hat on and do anything at any given moment that might uh, help you, but also help the greater cause of producing the best product you can and figuring out ways to lessen the load off one of these guys um, so that they can focus a little more on the main thing. It's funny. I was totally identify myself as a grinder too, in a way, like I knew other people were smarter than me and yeah. had more ta natural talent than yes. me, but I figured I could outwork everybody and that can get you pretty far. So and yeah. obviously it's worked for you really well. Um, how, okay. So you're so identifiable as an NFL guy. Mm -hmm. And yet I know you're passionate about baseball and hockey and soccer and other things, but how important was it for you professionally to kind of eventually at some point zero on in a niche and really own that. Was that important for you or did that just kind of happen by happenstance? No, I think it was important, but it, it also was sort of um, a confluence of, of life events that were about more than sort of anything professionally. So I'm at the Washington Post. Um, I left the Detroit Free Press and got hired by the Washington Post to cover hockey there, which was awesome for me because, again, I, I grew up in that area yeah. and was a Caps fan and, you know, was, was really hopeful that the team would kind of turn the corner and Ted Leonsis had just purchased the team and they, they right. were, you know, recently moved to a downtown arena from the suburbs. Uh, so yeah, that was a cool challenge. Um, and I did that for five years, but I knew that there was like, there wasn't going to be a 2004 season. Like you, I would have told you in 2001, like when this CBA ends, there's going to be it's, like, yeah, it's, a it's problem. dire like this. They are, both sides are willing to burn it down to build it back up. And so I, I'd always sort of kept my eye on that saying, well, if I was going to dovetail, if I was going to have my career sort of go in a different direction, then, okay, that might be the time to do it. And then that's sort of also dovetailing with me meeting um, the woman who would become my wife and and knowing that we would probably start having kids sooner rather than later. Yep. And like, do I want to be on the road a hundred and whatever days a year on the hockey beat? And I kind of knew I, I didn't. And it just so happened that right around that time, the W football, WFT, Washington football team at that time, yeah. that beat was opening up and, you know, they were going to move some things around and Joe Gibbs was coming back to town and he was going to be the savior. And that was like a huge story. And, and that football team is so intertwined with politics and Capitol Hill and everything else. And, you know, all the power brokers are doing their deals at, at, at those games and, there was more cachet to it then than now. You know, a lot of that's changed over the last 20 years under Dan Snyder. But at that time, yeah. I was like, wow, if I could get that beat, that would be pretty wild. But like I was also interviewing to like cover Virginia state government, you know, down in Richmond. And I was thinking about, wow, well, what about trying to get um, a foreign correspondent gig somewhere? So I was open to a lot of different things. Yeah. But I ended up getting the, um, you know, I think the Redskins thing was was what I wanted the most. And I ended up get you know getting that 
uh, opportunity to work on that beat. And it's been football for me pretty much since. Is that the strategy you'd give young people starting out is be wide, be open to anything, you know, take any opportunity you can get that are the the best ones. And then maybe later on at a point, start to zero in on an itch. Cause I have people come to me all the time and like, I love baseball. I only want to work in baseball. And I'm like, broaden out, be able to take other opportunities. What do you think about that? Well, I think especially when you're young, I mean, it's more about building up your skill set and your chops and getting yourself in different situations um, for, for, for your betterment, for good and for worse. Because a lot of times those awkward situations and how you deal with it and when somebody confronts you. I mean, I think the more you're in a press box environment, the more you're in a well, and again, I'm saying all these things and they're antiquated now because people aren't in locker rooms. <laughs> but they like, will be I, again. I, I mean, it's gonna. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's gonna be maybe. like it was. I don't think it's gonna be like it was in yeah. the mid '90s when I was coming up. Yep. Um, I just Same don't. Here. Um, where you could go, you know, swing by Davy Johnson's office at any point over a 90 minute period of time, and he'd probably have something interesting to tell you. Oh yeah, I remember Bob Ryan when I was a kid reading in the in the Boston Globe talking about well, he'd write about how he was on the. The plane with Bird and Parrish and McHale, and they were at practices hanging out together, and they go to the bar afterwards, and everybody that that barrier between reporters and players was way different back yeah. then. Yeah, and and I mean, and that was already evolving by the time I got into it. But just the idea of access and yeah. and um, familiarity, and and you and the reporters kind of being woven into the routines of the day. That's I don't know that we're getting back to that, but regardless. You're going to be in situations where people aren't going to agree with something you wrote. And how do I deal with those confrontations? And, you know, you're, how do I deal with, with you know, just writing on deadline and, and all these things that you can't really mimic in a classroom setting? So, no, I mean, I think it's great to have goals and it's it's great to, you know, follow your passion. But there's a, so much you could learn on covering a, a basketball team or a hockey team or, or whatever that will eventually apply in, in many different ways to covering a baseball team. Um, I, I just think beat writing is is something that um, is done. It's not. It's not really learned. Yeah, it's such a different experience. It's a an, a, an ever growing sort of amassing different things in your toolkit that you couldn't have prepared for unless you were there, kind of monitoring the ebbs and flows of this team on a granular basis every single day for an entire season. Yep. And I think the when you do that, then you learn to think critically. You learn to figure out a new way to tell the same story or a different way to approach a story that everybody's doing. Um, you, you learn to be a better reporter. You learn to ask better questions. Um, you learn to think critically and analytically. And then those things provide you with a toolkit that maybe eventually lead you to becoming a columnist or or whatever. Um, but I just think there's no substitute for for writing, writing on a daily basis, writing on deadline on a daily basis, and like just flexing those muscles regularly. It's so true. And, you know, when you and I first, you and I are about the same age, we came up in the industry at the same time. And it used to be writers were writers, mm -hmm. TV personalities were TV personalities, mm -hmm. radio people were seen and uh, were heard and not seen. You know, like right. there, was, there was, everybody had these very distinct roles. And now that crossover is completely different. Yep. Anybody who's writing for print or digital is also showing up on TV and yep. other media networks and et cetera. Go back to those early days for you when you made that transition from being just a writer or a beat reporter to then also getting that TV coverage. What do you remember most about getting into that new idea of being a storyteller on camera. Yeah. I mean, when I first started doing TV, I, I wasn't even thinking in those terms whatsoever. It was just 
Um, again, a confluence of events, things that were going on that had nothing to do with me. Um, the Washington Post entered into an agreement with, at that time, it would have been Comcast Mid-Atlantic. I guess now it's NBC Sports Washington. Yeah. Uh, it had been previously home team sports. Anyway. Yep. Uh, so they they were looking for content and programming, and they started a show. I don't know. I think it was called Washington Post Live. And like when it first started, God, I, I think it was two hours a day. Like I think it was like five to seven daily. Wow. And it was their talent mixed with Washington Post talent. And it was kind of a free-for-all. But obviously, people wanted to talk Redskins all the time. I mean, even when they stunk, like the Red the Redskins were always in. They always, you know, obsessing about the Redskins 365 days a year. So I was on that show a fair amount because, you know, they want the one of the two Redskins beat writers on with some regularity. And so it kind of started originally almost like, a version of the sports reporters where it'd be four or five people at once. And then it kind of morphed into more tailored segments between the teams in season. And then the next thing you know, they're like, well, can you do a stand-up for us after this practice? Can you do a stand-up for us before or after this game? And if we got you keeps evolving, if we got your field credentials, could you do a couple of hits in our pregame show? And Hey, we really like the chemistry between you and, um, you know, Jason Reed, who I was on the beat with at one point in time, and we want to start a segment called The Jasons, and you guys give us the ideas. You the Next thing you know, now I'm producing, and I'm a segment producer. Like, I didn't even yeah. know what a segment producer was at the time, but it's like, hey, here's what I think we should talk about on Friday. And then it was like, well, can you do more? And I guess people were noticing. I guess people in Culver City, California were noticing yep. um, where the NFL Network is based. NFL Network. Because I was not... Um, like, I wasn't looking to get on TV. I had no resume on file with them. I didn't, I never, I've never had a sizzle reel. I've never put one together. Um, we can work on that for you. <laughs> I, I think I'm good. I mean, I, my, <laughs> I mean, my agent probably has one, you know what I mean, for me that they've done somewhere. Like, now, you know, 15 years later. You got some material to work with, yeah. But, like, at that point in time, I wasn't, like, I don't even know if we had DVRs then, but, like, I wasn't, like, you know, video recording my segments that were on, you know, Washington right. Post Live to like trying to string them together. Yeah, like I yeah. nah. I mean, it was I, I I'm mm-hmm. I you know I wanted to. I was starting to write sort of analysis pieces for the Post and kind of transitioning a little bit off the beat to having not a column but the opportunity to inject a little bit more personality because my blog had taken off yep. and you know, so things were starting like, that's the point where things are starting to get a little murky as to what exactly a beat writer's role is. And if, well, you're able to riff and do this stuff on the blog mm. and you're able to riff and do this stuff on TV, then how much can we put in the newspaper? So my role was evolving and I was very happy with that. And that's where I was. I was like, well, one day I want to write columns for the Washington post and I love living here and I'm from here and my wife's from here this is where we want to raise our kids. And then the NFL Network opportunity uh, came about, and and that at a certain point, I stopped saying no. At a certain point, I was like, okay, I guess I maybe need to really. Yeah, you can't turn that down. Yeah, it reached a point where I kind of was like, I think I probably need to explore this. Oh, for sure. Okay, so 
if early writing days, Buster would say to you, like, yeah, he's got some problems with his writing. Well, he he wouldn't say it to me, but he would I be know, saying I get it, it to, though, like, but, but like, like, on my sports editors. You know what I mean? Molly and Jack, like, we love having this kid around, but, ooh, he's a little rough. Any new skill, like, you have some moments where it's not coming together quite like you want. Sure. Everybody has that. That wasn't a comment at you, but I have to no, imagine no, just, there was some Buster of that. Buster didn't say it to me. That's all I was saying. Like, I don't want like, <laughs> no, to, think, call out I don't Buster. want people to think, Buster loved to bust my balls, but he was never like, bro, you can't write. <laughs> no, I, and I didn't mean to insinuate yeah, that yeah, either. Yeah. I'm just saying if you had some early learning curve oh, yeah. i'm sure there was in tv as well do you look back and remember any like funny moments from first getting started on tv i don't want to <laughs> <laughs> I don't, please tell me there's I a blooper want, reel out there oh, come on I'm you know sure there, there is. is i'm sure there is i i mean there definitely should be um i mean i had never you know i fly out there for the first time and like the next thing i know i'm on total access and i'm in like every block and it's like okay well like, this is a little different That's a pressure than watching cooker. it post live. And I do my segment with Jason Reed and have a little yeah. fun. Um, so, yeah, I gained a, 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 a immediately a, a, a different sort of um, worldview and uh, respect for what goes into yeah. that side of putting a show together and, you know, making a sh- It's kind of like the beat writer thing all over again. Like, okay, like there's going to be these huge stories. Like at that point in time, you know, the, the expiration of a collective bargaining agreement. How am I going to tell this story on a daily basis with something new that's something a little bit different that advances the story that doesn't just bore the, 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 in this case, not the reader, but yeah. you know, the viewer, look, the background I had put me in great stead to get there faster. And the fact that, you know, at the NFL network, especially then knowing that a lockout was looming, I think it was really do more with less. So I got to do everything. I mean, they were, yeah. I'm doing features, I'm voicing stuff over, I'm doing standups, I'm doing you know, around the clock live hits. I'm I'm doing three and four shows a day. Like I, I feel like I was there three years and and looking back on it, I did like 10 years of television. I mean, I don't know where else I could have gone and had an opportunity to do that much TV and so many different se- extended yep. sit down interviews. And I mean, like right away, like it was just like, we're going to activate you in, in a bunch of different ways and wearing a, a reporter's hat, wearing an analyst hat, writing features, I mean, writing, you know, content for, in some cases, helping for other people's features. And um, it was awesome. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I the first stuff I did for them, like we were in Pittsburgh and it was, uh, the you know, the Thursday night kickoff game. And yep. we, did, we did a bunch of stuff that summer from um, Canton at the Hall of Fame and, and, I think that was the first time I was in the field for them. And yeah, if you went back and looked at that first couple of hits, I you would probably have thought that like I was an amphetamine junkie because I <laughs> I, I just my heart was beating like crazy. And I can I just like I, people have always told me slow down. Yeah. Like I can't it, it must have sounded like yeah, like I was like machine like like machine gun. That's like, an East Coast thing though. We're just, burdened with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're only giving me 45 mm-hmm. seconds. So, bah! I got a lot to say and here uh, it comes. Yeah. yeah. You you get a you get a much different appreciation for what 30 seconds means, what 40 seconds means, what a minute means. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I was I would I was very wrong. Very wrong. So so were you getting like were there people on the NFL network side that were like training and working trial with you? Fire. Or was this just trial by yeah, fire? Yeah, I mean you'd like, get some go. feedback here or there, yeah. but really 
again, at that point in time, as I look back on it, like everything about the league was getting streamlined because there was this lockout coming and you didn't know how long it was going to be. Is yeah, it, are we going to lose like just that. preseason games? Are we going to lose regular season games? So, um, and they were still fighting. I think they, there's the time, the battle with time Warner was still going on. So like you couldn't get it in certain parts of New York. So there was a lot going on sort of way, way above my head. So, no, it's not like you would get done a hit and you'd go into somebody's office and they'd critique you or at the end of the week. Like they kind of were getting there yeah. when I was on my way out. Like that kind of started happening more, my, probably my last six months there. But no, it was just, it was a lot of it, honestly, was I got to work. I mean, again, I'm super lucky. I got to work with great people. Like I would go into Fran Charles's office before yep. he left and say, Fran, what do you think I could do better? Like, yeah. where do I need to grow? Like I, I would just pepper him with questions about the industry. And, you know, same thing with Rich Eisen. And you start to get an appreciation for what the host role really is. And I mean, even floor managers and stage managers and like, what do they really do and what's their role and how can they help me? It, it was, I would say trial by fire. Yeah. So if you were trying to help somebody who was getting into that world now, are there any pieces of, now that you've been doing it for what, 15 years you've been on camera, Something like that. are there any pieces yeah. of advice that you'd share that maybe have been shared by you to you by Rich Eisen or Fran Charles, or any of those people that you think could be valuable to somebody getting started? I mean, it sounds cliched, but I think, it, and it's, it's maybe counterintuitive to the question you just asked was, a, which was about feedback. But I, I would just say that that's a business where it's very easy to sort of lose who you are or what you think your identity is or sort of um, what what makes you you and what got you there. So there's kind of a line between like, hey, we don't think that color looks great on you or, hey, you know, what would you think about this or that? Like, you know, certain that stuff, like you're you're in the medium. Like, it's a visual thing. You're going to have to roll with the punches with some of that stuff. But, like, don't let somebody who doesn't really know you but thinks they really, really know TV try to, like, change your being or change what feels right to you or doesn't feel right to you on camera. Or, you know, oh, we need you to just be bigger. No, that's not. Like, there's a certain point where you have to look at yourself and be like, well, okay, like I, I get why that person might want me to be that way and sort of to be that over the top or sort of get to a point where I feel like I'm playing a character, but that character is not me. I think that's amazing advice. I think that's a really, really good spot on advice. And that I remember when I was the news director at Fox Sports Northwest and I'd be hiring anchors or reporters, or whatever it may be. And I hire them for a reason. Like I saw their tape. Right. I saw their work. I liked who they were. Yep. But then if they came in and thought they had to be, well, now we're in a top eight market. You know, we have to, I have to be something different. And they try to put on a different show. I remember trying to consult with them all the time and saying, no, 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 no. I hired you because I like this. Like, don't change. Be that person. That's okay. So that's an interesting point to see. Sometimes that's internal people are trying to change. And sometimes that's external yes. forces upon you. So that's really Interesting. Um, one of the things that always gets me, excuse me, is um, reporters live and die by their sources. And for you to become one of the NFL insiders, like that's a process. That's not easy to do to get this insight and this knowledge. Break it down for us. How does that work? Like I'm always amazed by the the, the tentacles of insight that you're able to pull and understand and and give out to the world. Like how do you go about making these connections, whether you're a beat writer in the NHL or whether you're an NFL insider on NFL Network? Yeah. 
You got to build that trust somehow. How does that happen? Well, you know, I think a lot of it is your work product and people seeing how hard you work, how much you care. Um, are you fair? Are you honest? Are you holding grudges? Are you coming in with a preconceived notion? What are you sort of all about? You're going to click with certain people more than others. That's just natural. And some of the people who I'm closest with, it's just that like we met each other at a time where neither of us got to where we were going and we have kids of a similar age or we have similar political leanings or we like similar music. Like a lot of times it's about these connections you make that really have nothing to do about the beat you're in or the sport you're covering or, or what have you. It's just about like connecting as, as people. Um, It's about showing you're trustworthy. And if somebody tells you something and they tell you, you know, this is completely off the record or you can use it, but it's not for attribution or this is just on background. And if you can get a couple of other, if you come back to me with, with stuff that, you know, amplifies this or advances the story, then I might go on the record. It's just about being true to your word, establishing ground rules and sticking to them. Um, It's about, I think, being very upfront with what those ground rules are. And here's what these words mean to me. Is that what it means to you? And let's get that sorted out before we even go down this road of, you know, talking about something that could be highly sensitive and could affect a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. There's no, you know what I mean? I'd love to tell you there's a book you can read. There's, you know what I mean? There's, you can do this, you can do that. You, you try to be constantly finding ways to bring people into your orbit. In my case, I I try for it to be sort of organic um, to some degree, but at least thinking about people in certain organizations or, or what have you. Um, It is about networking. Um, I'm not the world's greatest schmoozer. I have a hard time. Uh, not saying what I really feel. Um, <laughs> That's what I think people like about you. I don't know. Uh, it's just, it's just me. I mean, I, I'm, it, yeah. so, you know, I, I, I would say my approach might be different than a lot of people's approaches, but I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm looking for ways to find information that might illuminate something for a listener, a reader, a viewer, somebody interested in that team, somebody interested in the league. What have you? Do you have do you have to have your bullshit meter on at all times too, though? Because sure. I would imagine agents and executives and other people see you as a a leverage point, oh, right? Yeah. That they can they can feed you stuff that benefits them. Is, of that, is that a hard thing to know? What's where we sit on information? It certainly can be, especially you know. The, again, the more sensitive the topic, you, you understand that there's there's a certain degree of exchange going on here, and you could benefit me, and I could benefit you. But at a certain point, it's it's also it's it's got to be about, you know, like I just think back to people like my sports editors from the past. And like, could I have gotten this past George Solomon into The Washington Post in, you know, whatever, not 1999? OK, yeah. well, times have changed. So let me just am I at least you know what I mean? Am, am I adhering to, you know, fairness and accuracy? And and do I feel like I'm being as as fair and accurate as I can about this story. Um, yeah, there's people who want things out there for different reasons all the time, every day. Um, it's it's a transactional business at some level, which sucks, but it's just the reality. Yeah. So yeah, you have to you have to kind of have your head on a swivel. You, you have to think about okay, why are they telling me this now? And there's a lot of time. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that 
Like somebody told me it and they believe it. So I could put yeah. it out there, yeah. but I just don't because yeah, it doesn't pass the smell test. It doesn't mm-hmm. pass muster. Um, yep. It's just, it's more they're them testing to see, would he do this for me? Like, can I get him to do me this favor? And then, mm-hmm. the, and then I've, my experience is those people will then start continuing to try to push that to find out, is there a boundary? Isn't there a boundary? What could I whisper in this dude's ear, ear that, you know, won't show up on his Twitter feed five seconds later or on national television Sunday morning. Yeah. Gosh, what an interesting world we live in. Okay. So uh, journalism has changed a lot since mm. broke into the industry as someone who started on the beat. Is it frustrating to know that 280 characters has become more impactful than 5,000 words? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's changed so much. I could have never conceived that you, you as an individual would have more power with your phone without an editor, without a producer, without someone older, wiser, smarter than you having any say in that process whatsoever. And you could, in 20 seconds, disseminate it to more people than are reading a lot of major Metro daily newspapers. I, 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 that, that still seems crazy to me, but it's been, Twitter's been around since, I don't know, 2007 or something like that. I, I mean, so, yeah. it's like the capacity to have that in your pocket at all times. It, it blows my mind, but mm-hmm. it's also so baked into the cake now. Like it, it is the world we're living in. And unfortunately, I, I, again, to your point, I think we're not going back. I mean, it's, it's going to go from 280 to 150 or whatever. Right. Like it's, I, I don't think, you know, the era, the think piece is coming back. I, you know, in the course of my time at different media entities, you know, over, even over the last 15 years, there have been occasions where it's like, hey, we're not doing enough long form features. We're not doing it. You know, whether that be written for the web or written for the web with a digital component. Like there have been a few cycles where it's like, hey, we think maybe that's the way to go. But there have, I think the last time we probably had a big sit down like that at, at CBS was five or six years ago. And I don't know that there's going to be another one coming just because of the way the nature of media and consumption is changing. So on this one, I really don't know that you can fight City Hall. Like this no. is... No, you try I mean, to be as careful as you can be, but there's no going back. I don't want to sound like the old guy saying, get off my lawn. But um, as we talk about social media, and it's a great opportunity for young content creators to get out there and to build a brand and to be seen. I mean, there's opportunity yep. there that's pretty cool that we didn't have coming yes, up. Totally. But how important is it for anybody that's serious to still focus on the proper fundamentals, the ethics, the techniques, like the real craft of journalism? Is that something that is missing today and continues to diminish and if somebody that's properly doing like doing it the right way is that a standout trait now i think it depends on what you want to do like like i see what's going on in in sort of the 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 gambling content space and like there's some young people who i know like people who you know we have come on my radio show they do a couple of hits and the next thing i know like two two months later they've They've signed with Wasserman to like a, you know what I mean? And they've got major representation it's and now they're crazy. on all these platforms. Like, so would I lecture them and say, well, geez, I don't know about your journalism chops. I mean, yeah. if you're pretty good at picking games and <laughs> you have, you know what I mean? You come off well on yep. camera and you make a TikTok video or two that go viral. And now you have opportunities to make life-changing money. Like, am I going to say, well, boy, I think, you know, in that first segment, you could have, you know, done a better job synthesizing uh, how you 
spoke about that particular game. And yeah. you probably could have done that in 20 seconds rather than a minute. It's working. You know what I mean? Like, I think they know more about what works in that regard than I could even pretend to know. Oh, yeah. I had on I had on Jack Settleman, who has the highest Snapchat sports channel out there, right? Like, so he's just like, and I was asking him, I'm like, so what does the audience want nowadays? Because you seem to know better than I do. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, if you have designs on being, you know, whatever, an on-camera reporter or a sideline reporter in a traditional sense or a part of some team's in-house productions or some team's in-house content machine and you're you're going to be doing some writing and you're going to be doing some hits on camera, then yeah, I mean, there's a lot of conversations we could have about delivery and um, about you know, writing and rewriting scripts and how to be punchier and how to say more with less. But like, I I just look at the way this is expanding and yeah. I'm not hating on anything. These kids are like good for the, like you found a way to become this sort of media entrepreneur. Yep. And in non, in, in a non-traditional way that now is actually probably becoming more and more traditional. Uh, I mean, I would just go back to be enthusiastic, be real, um, do what you love. Uh, follow your passion, be open to new opportunities, uh, exploit all these mediums that are available to you, like create your own blog. You know, you think you want to be an analyst one day, you want to be on one of these ESPN debate shows. Okay, well, where are you? Show me where you're doing, you know, one minute and three minute and six minute diatribes about whatever the topic of the day that lit a fire for you. Where's your blog? Where's your podcast? Um, Where's your YouTube channel? Like utilize all that stuff. It's it's an amazing training ground. I mean, when I was thinking, do I want to be a play by play guy? You know, I would walk up to the press box at Landover at a Caps game. Do you have an extra set of game notes? I'd take the game notes home. I have taped the game that I'm at on DC twenty from the night before on a VCR. Mm-hmm. I'd put it in. I'd turn the volume off and I'd try to call the game. Yep. Or I'd sit in Memorial Stadium in the upper deck with a you know a, a little recorder. And try to call the game as it's happening. You guys now, like you, you, the technology that's available to do all these things. I mean, the idea that I could, you know, write my own 500 word game story about every game, the 87, 88 capitals played and keep it on a blog stored forever on the internet. What the F's the internet? What are you talking about? (laughs) But that's, you could do that. Yeah. And if five people see it, great. If nobody sees it, but by game 35, you're like, wow, I went back and looked at what I wrote in September. And, I'm and there's, yeah. Yeah. Like you said, it's a muscle. It's repeating. It's continuing to refine. And that's an ongoing process. And everybody has to be continuous learners in, in this process. Absolutely. Even, uh, even those of us that have been in for a long time, like I feel like I'm continually learning about new opportunities and new ways of getting content and information out there. So Absolutely. there's always something to be learning. Yeah. Forget Howard Stern, you are the king of all media. Uh, ah. TV, newspapers, <laughs> digital, no. social, radio. Um, you're big on radio in Baltimore now. Which platform do you like the best? I love radio. And maybe I'm okay. just because it's newest to me. Um, it'll be, what, two years in March, which is crazy because that feels like a long time. Um, <laughs> it's been a tough two years in general. Like, if you just break yeah, down all those other... No, we yeah. started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We started. Um, I think we got off the air for on our seventh show, and it was like a Wednesday ah. night. And that was the night that the Rudy Go- Rudy Gobert happened and yeah. Tom and Rita Wilson. And it was like, okay, this is real. Um, this is going to be very different experience. We're not going to be in studio for a while. Um, so no, I love it. It's the opportunity to fill four hours a day. And 
and fill right. it as you see fit and find ways to tell people things that they either didn't know or didn't or explain things that they didn't understand and entertain them and sort of share your life with them and try to create this um, a little bit of a community um, and, and to use all the skill sets that I've built up as a beat writer, as a columnist, the different ways to synthesize information to um, all these things that are available to me, whether it's it's a person who I can get on the show or it's a statistical database that I have access to through CBS that illuminates a different way to look at this Ravens Chargers game. And yep. we're going to talk about this matchup that nobody else is talking about, and, you know, to call a guy's agent and get a backstory a little bit on why something did or didn't happen. What's going on in these guys' lives to try to humanize them a little more? I, I think the opportunity to, to do all that at this stage of my life, given what I've been able to experience in the media and all these different hats I've been able to wear, I, I absolutely love it. So in this business, we're so often on to the next challenge, on to the next story, on to the next big shiny thing. Maybe I'm getting old and soft, but do you ever take a moment and reflect on the successes and kind of cherish these moments and just kind of feel like these are landmark moments a lot of times that you've been able to be a part of. Is that something you ever do? Do you ever get take a chance to sit back and say, this is pretty freaking cool? Oh, I think about how lucky I am all the time. And, and really more than anything else, I think about how, because you said it, you're always learning. I, I continue to find myself surrounded by these incredibly talented people who just by osmosis, you 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 find that you're picking things up. You the people who I would have gravitated to as just a media consumer were now sitting in a green room. We're now sitting in a production meeting. We're having these different kinds of conversations, and you're starting to see their process. Like you know, I look at a guy like Nate. It's like my God, like Nate Burleson could do anything. I mean, he's yeah. he's on the CBS. I'm watching him in the morning talk about Afghanistan. You know what I mean? Yep. And then he's taping a show where sludge is being poured on him for Nickelodeon. And then, you know, <laughs> JB's out one week and now Nate's hosting the NFL today too. And being an analyst at the same time. And I'm like, man, I get to work with this guy. I get to see how he operates. I get to, to kind of ask him questions and, and, and try to get better in my own way being around him. I mean, the chance to work with, with JB and Rich Eisen as somebody who hadn't done TV before much and Fran Charles. And like, those are my point guards. Come on. Like, yeah. I'm blessed. Like, I'm blessed. I mean, I, I just, I mean, Tony and Mike, like I would sit there and listen to them argue in the freaking office. And it, that's PTI. Like yeah. I saw it before it was PTI. And I consider those guys close friends and I'm able to reach out to them at any point if I need help or I have a question and you've got, you know what I mean? You've got these incredible resources and the producers that I've I've gotten to work with. And and I mean, to work for Sean McManus, to spend 10 years at the Washington Post and 10 years at CBS. I, yeah, I think I'm, I mean, I'm the luckiest dude in the world. And That's cool. to have been able to carve out a career in something I love, but also be able to do it in different ways. But, it, it, but to still know that I'm going to write three times a week, because at the end of the day, I think my critical thinking, my analysis, my bullshit meter, all that stuff, goes back to being a newspaper guy. And if you made me say, what are you at your core? I'd say, I'm a newspaper guy. Yeah, That's who I raised me. That's who trained me. Without that, none of this other stuff happens, I don't believe. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've been able to see the world, do amazing things, you know, raise a family, live in a part of the country, live where I want to live. I don't take any of it for granted. That's awesome. 
All right. We'll finish up with this. You've been really, really generous with your time. And this has been amazing. I know our audience is going to eat it up. Um, thousands of people are going to listen to this. And a lot of them are going to be people that want to work in sports broadcasting or journalism or some facet of that side of the industry. Let's just finish strong. Are there, are there certain pieces of advice as you look back of your journey or those certain moments that were important or turning points for you that you could share with the audience that just kind of helps give them a little bit of perspective or thoughts into how their path may look for them and, and those important moments and those important decisions? I, I would just say, I know there's this, this sort of argument now, and I don't even know exactly where I stand on it, to be honest with you, because I oscillate between like, what is an internship and what is paid work and what shouldn't be compensated and what should be compensated. I, I just feel like if you have something that's available to you that you think you can benefit from in some quantifiable way through whatever they're going to pay you or non-quantifiable way, but you believe it could make you a better reporter, a better on-air talent, it could make you understand the industry better, it could even just maybe help you figure out what you do and don't want to do, or even if this is really cut out for you or not, or you're cut out for it, I kind of feel like I would lean towards trying that. Even if you feel like you're not receiving your worth from this media entity that Lord knows what its profits are or, or you know, whether it's local or national or whatever, I, I do feel like there's no substitute for experience. Um, I have found that being willing to say yes, or at least I'll try it. I'll give it a shot has served me well. Now, I also had the ability to live in my parents' basement. You know what I mean? And I could do nope. things for less. Or I, I had the, like, I knew that I was going to be able to eat. You know what I mean? Like, I could go upstairs and, you know, go in the fridge and get something from mom or dad. And not everybody has that opportunity. I mean, I, again, we're, I'm not, we weren't rich by any stretch of the imagination, but, you know, we were fine. So I get it. And, and I don't like that we're still in this era where the, the idea of, of unpaid labor is a thing. Yeah, me too. But I also think that if you do focus on what is the end game from a financial standpoint, really early in the game, you may preclude yourself from, from getting where you ultimately could get both financially and in terms of being rewarded and, and fulfilled. I mean, I can remember being an unpaid intern at the Baltimore Sun and they're like, you're going to go cover beach volleyball down at the Inner Harbor. And I would act like they just told me I could go cover the Orioles game at Fenway Park. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it, yeah. like you're going to cover team bowling out in Dundalk. What the hell is team bowling? I thought it was an individual sport. Well, I better figure out what team bowling is. And I'm going to, you know what I mean? I'm going to put my heart and soul own this moment. into those yeah. five paragraphs that I get on the agate page. Yep. Like I, I, I you know, so I, I think it's, it's about understanding, sort of having some self-awareness, understanding where you are in the pantheon of things, how you could actually help them now to help yourself later, if that makes sense. I think it's being able to take a step back from a situation and, and being like, you know what, this is not maybe the exact assignment I wanted to get, but I'm going to use this assignment to show them why I'm worthy of more rather than kind of being like, oh man, I'm not on the pecking order where I want to be. And, 
oh, well, you know, it's they must think the other person like what? You know, what I mean, you, you can start yep. playing this whole game of all yep. the reasons why you're not getting what you're getting. But ultimately. The only way you're going to really improve that is by improving yourself and letting them know that you're going to bring a certain level of professionalism, enthusiasm, um, want, desire. Um, you're going to be just as inquisitive about this as you would have been going up to that relief pitcher and saying, why did you blow that major league game in the ninth inning? Yeah. Having that end in mind, knowing where you'll end up because of this experience and focusing somewhat there too is really important. And it is hard. We do understand. I think it's clear that you're very appreciative and understanding that not everybody's you know, got the same situations. And some people are having to work their way through college and do other jobs and bring in money. And it can be hard for some people to find those moments. But like we tell people all the time to figure out a way to get that experience you need because that's super important. And I wish everybody would pay and I wish there wasn't unpaid labor anymore. I just wish that wasn't a right. thing. But right. um, it, unfortunately it is. And until we fix that problem, then everybody out there needs to figure out a way to get those moments of experience because that's what will propel you. And that's super, super important. Like you said, it's that must you just got to keep working. Yeah. Yeah. There's no substitute for it. Yeah. Jason, amazing, amazing stuff. Thank you so much for giving us all this time today. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So great talking to you, even though you're an Orioles fan and I'm clearly a Red Sox yeah, fan. Well, you don't have anything to fear. <laughs> you should be thankful we're in your division, brother. We're, <laughs> it's the, only, great. I we're know. the only easy out in the AL East. So you should, <laughs> you should be sending me crab cakes or something. Well, you know what? We can unify our spirit behind the U.S. men's national team. So we can, there, we well, can be aligned there. How about that? We can. The players, at least. I don't know about the manager. Well, that's a good point, too. But we, that's a whole nother conversation. We might yeah, have to have a whole nother we might have to do this again sometime uh, boy you know absolutely i'm here awesome jason thank you so much you got it brian my pleasure thank you to jason for coming on the show super excited that our producer kevin zwicker who knows jason from his radio background was able to connect the two of us because i use that word intentionally talking to jason you felt connected you really felt like he was listening and attentive and caring and wanting to help. And I just admire that so much in people. So thank you to Jason for coming on the show. Really informative. I learned a lot. I hope you did as well. Thank you for tuning in. Please rate, review, subscribe. Wherever you listen to podcasts, check out our YouTube channel. We're doing a lot of fun work over there as well, too. Follow us on Twitter, at Work in Sports. All of our LinkedIn profiles, everything. We're out there. Come follow us. We want you to be a part of this community. Thank you for listening. And thanks to Jason. Jason.